Okay, Scott, if you'd like to come and uh, share with us. And uh, let's just pray, shall we? Father, we just lift Scott to you now. We just pray your, your anointing upon him. Just bless the words from his mouth. And Lord, just open our, our understanding. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to receive, that we would grow together this morning by your amazing grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, while we were praying, I remembered an, uh, another odd connection that I have with Portsmouth. And I hadn't told Pastor Barry this uh, yet, but it just, it just dawned on me. But, you know, the sovereignty of God and the providence of God to put places and people together is rather remarkable. And I just remembered, um, I never thought about this before, but the first time I got assigned to my submarine, I had gone through all kinds of training because I was in the nuclear power field. So it took a couple of years to learn the nuclear power field. I got assigned to my submarine of all places, in a shipyard. It was going through a refit. Uh, they had to rip all the guts out and change the reactor core. So I got assigned to it, and guess where it was located? Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Really strange, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> and so here I am again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Nothing's by coincidence. You know, the Lord guides everything. And um, I just want to say... Um, It's been a delight to be with Pastor Barry. He has a wonderful family. The hospitality has been fantastic. Um, And to hear from him what comes out of his desire, this deep desire for the people of Portsmouth and for you and his love for you is a wonderful thing. And for him to tell all of us here that God's put on his heart to quit his job and so he can dedicate more time and energy towards you is a wonderful thing. Uh, I admire his big step of faith, and uh, I think God will honor it. And um, hopefully you will all pray for him <laughs> and his wife <laughs> and his kids, <laughs> you know. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, Abraham told his wife, hey, we're moving, you know, we're changing. Where are we going? I don't know. In so many ways, he's taken a step of faith. He says, I, I believe God's calling me to stop. It doesn't even make sense. It's not rational here, but um, it's faith. So it's wonderful, fantastic. Well, I thought I'd um, share from Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> And I'm reading out of the New King James. <clears throat> For the longest time, I've been a King James man. Um, and recently, I made the transition. I ha- I'm so used to my Schofield Bible, I know where everything is. I may not know the chapter or the verse. I know it's on the left page and the left column and about a third of the way down. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm stepping in faith because I have a new Bible. <laughs> and I don't know where anything is here. But I'm in Matthew chapter 15, and I thought what I'd do is, is look at one little snapshot of how Jesus looks at faith, our faith. I think sometimes we, we make it too difficult. I think sometimes it's expressed in an incorrect fashion. Um, and I believe personally, after studying the Gospels, 
you look at each and every instance where Jesus had an individual meeting with an in, with a person, and it had to do with their faith, I believe the Holy Spirit organized all of those meetings and put them together and then wrote them down in the Gospels for us to have a full picture of aspects of faith. Because when you look at when he, he meets with the woman with the issue of blood, or maybe Jairus' daughter and she has to be raised, or the centurion, you see a slightly different aspect. My favorite person, I don't know if you have a favorite, my favorite is Mark chapter 2 with the four guys who bring the paralytic, tear up the roof while Jesus is teaching a Bible study and lower him down. That'd be fairly rude, wouldn't it? I mean, if that happened right now, we're, we're in church. And, and, but Jesus, he didn't blink an eye, and he noticed faith. So here in Matthew chapter 15, we have one of those scenes, but it's unique. But it teaches us something very special and significant about faith. Um, take a look at verse 21. I think the whole segment is verse 21 to verse 28. I'll read it, and then we'll stop, we'll back up, and then we'll work through it. Then Jesus went out from there, departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, because she cries after us. She's, she's bothering us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered and he said to her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Rather remarkable. It's just a short little segment. And Jesus, after this, what, 10-second conversation, he says, great is your faith. Rather difficult to impress Jesus. But he was impressed. This is great faith. So um, he leaves Galilee. He leaves Israel. He goes north to Tyre and Sidon. To us today, that would be Lebanon. So in the area of Lebanon, very pagan. Um, for the Jew, they would never go there. Um, but they considered that the gates of hell, quite honestly. So for them, this was really a learning lesson. Now, he's going to interact with her, but he wants to teach the disciples something. Because the disciples' idea of faith had been warped by the Pharisees. So he takes them up there. They're already uncomfortable. We shouldn't be here. What are we doing here? This is unclean. This is an unclean people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And yet we know he's the Messiah. So I think it's the other gospel, I think it's Mark chapter 7, that tells us that Jesus went up there to, to initially be alone and get away from people. 
But Mark tells us something. It says, he could not be hid. <laughs> he couldn't be hid. And sure enough, as Matthew records here, she finds Jesus. I don't know how that happened, but I believe what the Scripture says, it's the Father who can work, or the Holy Spirit who works, to draw people to Jesus. Just like here in Portsmouth. To draw people out of their homes Maybe they don't have an evangelist. Maybe they don't hear it on a radio. Maybe they don't hear it on a podcast. But just intrinsically in the home, oh, I I should go look for the Lord. I should go look for God. And then all of a sudden they, they probably drive by that banner Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and then all of a sudden one day, oh, Calvary Chapel, that's a church. And then they walk in here this way. So... Here's the situation. Anybody who is genuinely seeking God, anybody who genuinely wants to find the Lord, they're going to find him. They're going to find him. And that's what this tells us here. Now, in verse 22 and 23, it says she was a woman of Canaan, and she was living up there in Tyre and Sidon. Look verse 23. He answered her not a word, And the disciples came and said, send her away. She was living in a bad, godless area. She was living in an area where her daughter, it seems as though, was demon-possessed. Or, as the King James says, King James says, she had an unclean spirit. And almost all, I like King James better in this case. In the unclean spirit means there was some sort of sensual perversion that was affecting her. And uh, she, she actually, um, obviously, she loved, loved her daughter. And as she loved her daughter, she comes to the Lord and says, could you please help? Now, we know the disciples typically do this. Send her away. <laughs> that, that's what they do. They're fairly, fairly obnoxious this way. Uh, but again, Jesus wants to teach, her, teach them a lesson. But isn't, don't you think it's odd that Jesus doesn't answer her? It's a little strange. He knows she has a need. He knows that she's desperate. And yet, he answered not a word. It seems that he's indifferent. And indifference is the worst emotion. Right? I mean, Laodicea. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Uh, if somebody is upset with me, please tell me you're upset. Just tell me like it is so I can interpret it. But if they're indifferent to me, it's like, that's very difficult. So it seems on the outset here that Jesus is indifferent. And I want to tell you, I think this is good for all of us. There are plenty of times when we have a great need and we pray to the Lord and we pray to the Lord and we pray to the Lord. And we don't get an answer. It's like he's silent. Have you ever gone through that? You, you have some sort of desperation here. You know he hears you. But it seems like he's silent. We, sh- we should, and I need to remember this, I should never interpret his silence as him being cold or mad or indifferent with us. As we're learning in our relationship, he might have a very good reason for being silent. But I can't interpret it as though he's upset with me. 
or that I've done something wrong. Because look what happens. We know the end here already. He's impressed with her faith. She has great faith. So, so something else must be going on here in his silence here. And I think in large part, what he's doing here is to draw something out of her to get something into the disciples because they need to learn this. I've had lots of times where I've really had a desperate plea before the Lord, either for a relative. I mean, my mom, we're just we're passing 10 years, just November 5th, when my mom died a, a very horrible, excruciating um, of, a, of a liver disease. Uh, and it was long and drawn out. She had, she had this liver disease for about 20 years. She was going to be in line for a transplant. And just before, she was in transplant process. And just before she was approved, my brother was going to be a live donor. Um, they discovered uh, breast cancer. So that disqualified her. And so then she had to have a double mastectomy. And then she had radiation treatment. And uh, so the liver got worse and worse and worse, and then she finally died. So we're, we're just going on, on 10 years. But we prayed and prayed, and for me, it was a, like a double whammy because uh, I was watching my father grieve, and that really got me, you know, because I wanted to pray for my father too. And, um, you know, in desperation, just we didn't get really an answer per se. Um, so we, we all, we know what that's like. He's teaching them here that this woman, who, who seems to be the most unlikely candidate to receive the mercy and grace of Jesus, um, she's going to get it. Now, here's for the disciples. They believe they're, we're God's people. We're the Jews. We have the book. And of course, we're special people and we're better than them. So to have a Syrophoenician woman here who's a pagan, number one, she's a woman, because the Jews look down upon women. Number two, she's a pagan. She has multiple strikes against her, and her daughter, quite honestly, is demon-possessed. So she has three strikes against her. And they're thinking, there is no way she deserves Jesus to answer her prayer. There is no way she deserves Jesus to heal her daughter. And, and you see, that has to be corrected. In all of us, we think, well, God's going to answer my prayer because I've done something good. God's gonna, obviously going to answer my prayer because I deserve it. And you see, that's not mercy, is it? That's not mercy, that's grace. No. Don't ever think that God can't answer your prayer because you've been bad or something like that. He's full of grace, He's full of mercy. So you see how faith is going to be adjusted here through this whole scene? She was in great desperation here. And it might be that she even felt guilty. It might even be that she felt responsible, that it was her fault. There's no mention of a dad here. You know, Maybe she had gone through a divorce. Maybe she... Uh, brought her into the neighborhood that she shouldn't have brought her into. Maybe she felt like, well, I, I should have watched over her friendships harder, you know. And I let her get involved with these friends. I know, I know. As a parent, I want to do the best job I can for my little girl, and I've made mistakes, and sometimes I blame myself. Parents can do that. You want to do a good job, you know. 
So Jesus knows all that. He knows our own guilt that we put on ourselves, and he wants to alleviate that guilt, and he wants to put um, take the burden off here. So look what she does here. He doesn't answer her. The disciples are fairly rude, and in verse 24, he says, I, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. I, I believe from the passages that she, she fell down and worshipped him. Now, I'm going to go away from the mic. I'm going to give you a demonstration. Is that okay? Can I give a demonstration? No, oh, okay. I don't want to be too, too Pentecostal here. But. No, no, no. She just fell down. How does she know to do that? She's a pagan. The disciples are watching this. She calls him Lord. It's amazing. She's got no Bible doctrine. She's got no church. She doesn't know theology. She doesn't know anything. She knows he's Lord. And just like that, she she worships him because he deserves to be worshipped. So she believes in the simplest of her faith that he has the power to do what she's asking. It's just that simple. She believes he has the power. Now, with all of this against her, with with all hope that's seeming lost, and with all these strikes against her, even the disciples are trying to convince Jesus, don't listen to her. With all that, she just, with faith, she comes to the Lord. She says, please. And her anxiety turns to adoration. And her worry turns to worship in an instant like that. And that's what happens with you. You live your life and you have these worries. You have anxiety. And uh, we have all these concerns. How do we escape these concerns? You come to church on Sunday and for a time, you, you give those burdens to the Lord and you worship and you praise even though you have those things. And you see, Jesus loves that. He's pleased with that. So the word worship in your Bible is proskuneo. Proskuneo. It means to kiss the master's hand. But the main idea of that word is Spontaneity. And what you read about her was, it was just a spontaneous thing. He didn't answer necessarily. She just worships him, calls him Lord, and she's blessing him. But it was spontaneous, just like that. And it just lets us know that the Lord really loves spontaneous worship. I mean, I have a background in our country. You certainly, in this country, have a background in what we call high church or more formal worship, right? We come here, this is considered low church, but it's informal, but it's, it's more spontaneous. And the Lord likes that. Um, certainly the, the Lord is present here, and we have reverence for the Lord, but there's a certain informality that he enjoys in this relationship. Think of it like this, husbands and wives, okay? With my wife, uh, she loves spontaneity. You know, I, I always am trying to um, 
make deposits and investments in our love relationship. Everything is pulling at the marriage. Time, money, responsibility, just duties, uh, always fixing the house because the the house always needs fixing and just going, going, going. So everything is pulling at our time in our marriage. So I I can't do nothing. It's not just going to happen. So I have to continually make deposits and investments in the marriage. And I do that by telling her I love her maybe a thousand times, <laughs> you know. And I do it by, you know, just a, a spontaneous thing, you know. She doesn't do anything special. She's just standing there in the kitchen. We're going to get coffee, and I just give her a little kiss on the cheek, you know. Just spontaneous like that. She loves that spontaneous stuff. But if I make it real rigid and formal, and I say, um, excuse me, thou wife, couldst thou come over here so I could... <laughs> It would wreck the moment, wouldn't it? It would change things. So why can't I just give you a kiss? So you see, this is spontaneous, and this changes our idea of faith and what really um, pleases the Lord. And, and you don't have to do it just here. You, you do it all over the place. You, know, you, just, you just have a spontaneous song in your heart to sing to him. Uh, even though we're not singers. You know, anybody sing in the shower? You know, just... You just you start singing, you know, you sing in the car, you know, you turn up praise me, you're just singing, you're worshiping the Lord, just spontaneous like that. It blesses him. You know, it's wonderful. So if I if I introduce more formality into my relationship with my wife after all these years, it would kind of wreck the relationship. So I love when we get to verse 26. He answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as your desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So Jesus is going to heal her daughter. Um, She finds out when she gets home. And uh, you'll notice here, over and over again, it says, Jesus answered, Jesus answered, Jesus answered. And then finally, he answered her prayer. You know, that's a wonderful thing when we finally get the answer we desire. Thank you, Jesus. Um, when he talks about the dogs here at the table, I don't know, anybody have any dogs at home? I have two little dogs. And every time we get to the table... Those dogs are right at the table. And, and I can feel them. I, I, I have one little dog. His name is Tucker. He's a little guy like this. And uh, Tucker is supposed to... Are we losing our lights? Yeah. Tucker is supposed to stay in the living room. We have a small little dining area connected to our living room. He's supposed to stay over there, but he, he, he kind of creeps along, and he gets closer and closer and closer, hoping that I'm not going to say anything. And so we're sitting there at the table, Maddie and Shannon and I, and I can just feel him staring at me. And I look over, I go, Tucker, and as soon as I look over his little tail, you know, <laughs> he's happy, his ears. But you know what? Anytime food moves, he moves. His eyes, the ears, he's watching everything. If I drop something, you know, he's right, and he beats Cookie, the other dog, to the food. So he's looking for crumbs, and he's so you know, urgent to get any little snack like that, but very, very focused. And, uh, 
she says the same thing. She says, look, I'm not not asking for a seat at the table. I'm not uh, coming to you with some sort of an arrogance. I am humble. I'm, I'm a humble servant here. And just any little thing you give me, I'd be happy with. Just humility. Yeah. I, I don't want any special treatment. I'm, just, I'm, I'm like a little dog here. You just throw me a little scrap. That'll be enough for me, Lord. I'll be happy. So she, she's like that. and She has great humility here. I like, I like that she's not offended one bit. I like that she has the humility to just take whatever. It speaks to me. It ministers to me. She's not offended at all. <clears throat> in Mark, it tells us that the woman was in travail. She was just emotionally driven to go to the Lord. I have six things that I'd like to close with here. When you have faith, it's against all hope. Number one, this teaches us that it's very good to be desperate. Jesus doesn't mind if we're desperate. Now, we're Christians. And so oftentimes we think if we're really struggling, or if we're depressed, or if we're down and out, or we don't, we don't know what to do and we're desperate, we think, well, I'm not a good Christian. Don't we normally think that? We beat ourselves up. And then the devil comes along and beats us up. So right here, this tells us it's very good and wonderful to be desperate. Most people, most people, when they come to the Lord, they come to the Lord in crisis. That's just the fact of the matter. That's not a bad thing. You know, the church is supposed to be like a hospital. And this is where people come in crisis to be mended and to be healed. All those people across the street there that, that live there in this, this town right there, may God give them a crisis and come in a crisis and then be in desperation, find no answer in anything else out there, and then search for Jesus and come here and then be mended and be healed. So it, it's good to hit rock bottom because when we hit rock bottom, we land on the rock, <laughs> Jesus Christ, and he's the one who builds us up. Uh, number two, faith isn't complicated. It's not complicated. He loves simple faith. Again, she's never been to a synagogue. She's never been to a Bible study. She didn't know a single other Christian. I mean, there weren't many Christians then. There were just the disciples up there in the Galilee. So she doesn't know theology, doesn't know doctrine. Um, so sometimes we, we get ridiculed or criticized because we don't know enough or something. And Jesus loves his simple faith. So it's not complicated. Uh, number two, number three, it ignores their background. The kind of faith that Jesus loves just completely just ignores anything that she's been through. And she probably has been through an awful lot of stuff. She's probably sinned an awful lot being in that pagan environment, that pagan culture. But here she comes to Jesus. He doesn't bring any of that up. And none of that counts against her. None of it. There's, there's, there's no, there no strikes against her as far as she's concerned. The disciples have issue with it. You know, I, I love it 
when people come to our church and we're all sinners and we have all of this baggage from our mistakes and our decisions and when people come to church for the first time they're they're a little honestly they're a little wary they wonder what Christians are going to say to them they wonder if they're going to get the treatment of the disciples here but I love it when they come and there's no Pharisee in our church now sometimes we have had Pharisees but I love it when they come and nobody points out anything about them. And they just get loved and they get accepted and they let the Lord grow them in grace. We had, we had a, a, a couple. This is a great story. We, we had a couple. How much time do I have? Am I, am I okay? I'm almost done. I only have 70 more points. No, just a couple more. But this couple uh, came to the church and uh, they drive a long way. And I, I know they sit way in the back. He's a big guy. They're Puerto Rican. And, uh, man, they've been coming for a few months. But every Sunday, the guy, his eyes are wide open. I mean, he's just glued, you know. And I'm like, wow, the Lord's doing something in his life. I mean, he's looking at his Bible, looking at me, really excited. And uh, I hadn't had a chance to meet them. But one day, uh, the administrative pastor comes into my office and he says, hey, I just I want to know what to do here. I want to know what you think. Uh, let me run something by you. I said, sure, John. And he says, well, um, you know this couple, Alex and so-and-so? And like, um, yeah, yeah, Puerto Rican family. Coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, it just seemed like the Lord's doing something in their life. And he goes, well, she called, and uh, she wants to know if they can get married. I'm thinking, well, okay. Now, you know, we, we do a lot of premarital. We want to make sure they're not unequally yoked. We want to make sure that they're both Christians, and we want to make sure that before God, when I stand before him, I'm doing the right thing. Now, this is holy matrimony. And uh, marriage is his. We can't mess with that. You know, anytime we try to mess with marriage, we end up with problems. So I said, well, just, you know, yeah, you know what to do. Just ask them the questions. And so John says, oh, yeah, they're both, they're both Christians. I go, well, why are they asking? Well, you know, they got kids. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, okay. And, and they're not married. No, they've been living together for 16 years. Oh, oh okay, and they want to get married. And, uh, and here's the situation. They've been all over in these other churches that don't have the Bible or use the Bible. But they've had friends go to churches that use the Bible. And they know about marriage and the sanctity of it. And the friends have been telling them, why don't you get married? You need to get married. Why don't you get married? It's been 16 years. You have kids. And they ah, you know, it's just a piece of paper. You know, what's a big deal, you know? But she says, ever since we've come here and you've been teaching the word, something on the inside has been telling us it's the right thing to do. I've been teaching on marriage and not one single disciple Pharisee has gone to them and then pressured them. It came right from the Holy Spirit from the inside. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, so they're trying to find their birth certificates. Um, kind of hard to get from Puerto Rico. And we're going to have a wedding ceremony right after church service in the sanctuary. And anybody in the body that wants to attend uh, is going to attend. It's going to be a wonderful thing, you know. So it, it ignores the background. Um, a faith that prevails against hope also has nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose. So for her, she didn't, she didn't really get offended by the Lord's silence. She kept coming back and coming back 
and coming back and coming back. And the Lord loves that. He loves persistence. Didn't Jesus teach us that? He said, ask, seek, and knock. And I'm sure your pastor, when he's taught that, he's told you that when Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock, it's a continuum. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And what do, what do we do? Ah, I'm just bothering them. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just pestering them, you know. You know, that guy at the door. It keeps, keeps knocking and keeps knocking. It, it doesn't bother Jesus. It doesn't bother him. So he loves persistence. And so this is a persistent faith here. And then finally, um, it comes right out of the heart. And it doesn't come out of the head. It comes right out of her emotion and her grief and her love for her daughter. And she just says, Lord, would you do this? So what does he say? He says, a woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. So a simple, persistent trust in the Lord is what blesses him and what impresses him. And you probably have it and you don't even know it. So don't listen to the enemy. Don't even listen to yourself that you don't have enough faith. If you're persistent in prayer, you know that God can do it. You talk to him, you ask him, it pleases him and it blesses him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much that these lessons have been designed by you. The very meetings, the very time frame, the very context, bringing the disciples, all that was designed by you to benefit your church for thousands and thousands of years. Lord, I know it's benefited me, benefited our church. And now you want it to benefit this church. You know, Lord, how so many times we just we make it too complicated. <laughs> it doesn't have to be complicated. Thank you, Lord, for your simplicity and how easy it is to please you and bless you. And I hope, Lord, that we can remember this. I hope, Lord, that these, these truths in your word would settle down into our being and we would enjoy our faith relationship with you. It's the devil that continues to tell us that we're not good enough or not knowing enough or don't have enough faith. But you're the one who takes that burden right off of us. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.